0: The gift of faith, the gifts of healing, which is a plural, and the gift of miracles, and finally the gifts of inspiration, prophecy, of being tongues and interpretation. Many words have been uh, printed and, and spoken about these particular gifts, and I suppose we could uh, talk for many hours about them the, this morning, but I'm not going to, uh, to do that. Uh, Michael's given me a limit of three and a half hours for the service, is that uh, that right by everyone? So. But this morning I'd like to talk about discernment and that that is the gift of distinguishing between uh, spirits. Um, A young boy was talking to to his dad and asking him some questions, said, Dad, why is the sun hot? His dad said, I don't know. Dad, why does ice float? he says, I don't know. Oh, Dad, is a mouse really, oh, sorry, is an elephant really scared of a mouse? His dad goes, I don't know. And the child goes, Dad, does it bother you that I ask you all these questions? And his dad said, no, son, if you don't ask questions, you're not gonna learn anything. Often we can ask questions, but it's the answers that we, that we get. As I mentioned before, for the, I meet with a group of children on a, or high school students on a Sunday morning and I have asked them a few questions uh, over the years and one of them was, where did the early church meet? And the answer that came back was at Jesus' parents' place. And maybe I was thinking because in the scriptures it said Jesus said, in my father's house there are many rooms. Another question that we asked was, what was heaven like? And one, one, one young fellow said that he thought heaven was going to be boring. And I said, why was that? And he said, well, all they seemed to do was sit around and sing. And I said, well, I don't think heaven's going to be that boring. And if you take an example of the, of the royal family living at Buckingham Palace, it's only their soldiers and guards that have to be on duty. The children of the, of the Queen can come and go as they, as they please. And in heaven... The angels may be uh, singing, they said, but we are children of the King. We'll be able to come and go, and we'll be able to explore the universe that God has created for us. So some of the questions we get may be pretty easy to, to answer, some of them are a little bit more complex. But what if we have questions and things that come in our lives that are a challenge to our faith and to what we believe? We have a reading from, from Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5, uh, could I trouble someone to read that out for us, thanks?
1: Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 to 14. About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So solid food is for the mature,
0: for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. I'd like to give you an illustration. I happen to have some, uh, some money here. No one has ever been arrested for copying Monopoly money. Not that I'm aware of. I could print as much Monopoly money, and this is a Star Wars Monopoly $20 note. I can give you a copy if you, if you like. No one's ever been arrested. No one's been sent to jail. The police are not tracking people that copy Monopoly money if you went to the store to buy something with Monopoly money, they'd probably laugh at you and say, come back another day. I have a $20 Australian note, legal tender in our country, and we can use it anywhere. And most most people know the difference between this and this. At least I hope so. Because if your parents gave you this for pocket money, you wouldn't be happy. If they gave you this, they'd probably very, you'd be very um, very happy. So, but what do we do if something's a little bit a little bit different, a note that we're not used to? And here is a, a US twenty-dollar note. It's worth a little bit more than twenty dollars in, in Australian currency, but it's not legal tender in Australia. I cannot pay my taxes the Australian government using this note because it belongs to another another country. So we, as young people, need to, as we grow up through school, we have to learn what our notes are, what our denominations are, and sometimes it's easy to tell the difference between the, a genuine note and something which is not really genuine, but then we also have to discern to say, well, this is a note, it's worth something, but it's not worth something in our, in our country, in our environment. I suppose unless I'm buying a cotton picker, which is in US dollars, but everything else is in, was in Australia. So we need to be able to work and tell the difference. As part of our training, as we're growing up, we're able to distinguish between what is real, what is accounted for it, and what is still seems to be valid and appreciated like a US dollar, but not really accepted in our in our country. The writer refers to training. We have to be able to use the currency to know what it's what it's worth. And as a child, as, as you're growing up, you may give them some, some money and say, go to the shop and buy something. You'll give them the currency, they'll go to the counter, they'll buy the goods and get the change. So as part of that everyday transaction training, they're learning how to handle handle money. Uh, although some people don't know how to, how to handle money, it comes in one day and it's gone the, gone the next. They don't have long to, to handle it. Everyone in the world knows God. That's a fairly broad statement, but you just have to see what happens when someone finds their car keys or another person receives a house which has been fully renovated for it and the big reveal comes through and they say, oh my God. But we who have, we, uh, that may be a world's view, but we have accepted Jesus Christ of our Lord and, and Saviour. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We know God is not just the God of lost car keys. He's the God of lost lives and, and our salvation. The writer of Paul in Hebrews says that it is a terrible thing, a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But that is for people that don't, don't know him. For we that do know God, it's not a terrible thing to fall into his hands. We believe we are part of the body of believers, the bride of Christ, his church. And the gift of of discernment is for keeping the church and the bride of Christ pure. Let's read a passage from Timothy. I asked someone to read this for us, thanks.
1: 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 to 5. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and extort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Thank you for that. The time will come
0: when people will not tolerate sound doctrine. How do we know what sound doctrine is? There are so many issues in society today, but there's, and there are also so many issues confronting the church. We need the church to be in the world, but the world to not be in the church. To put it another way, we want a boat to be in the water. We don't want the water to be in the boat. So why do we need discernment? We need discernment because we've lost the ability to see in the spirit. And although we have it back through the holy gifting of the Holy Spirit, we need practice. But how did did we lose our spiritual vision in the first place? Reading from Genesis, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree in, in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she, she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverage coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. And then he asked, Who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? So notice with Adam and Eve, when they were in the garden and fellowship with God, the physical things around them were, were irrelevant. They didn't notice that they were, they were naked. And their, their spiritual eyes were open and they could fellowship with God and they saw things as God could, uh, God could see them. But as soon... So as soon as they as they sinned and they fell away from God, they lost that vision into the, into the spiritual and they became very aware of the physical. They became aware that they were naked and they, they hid from God because they could see what they looked like and they thought they'd be ashamed if they were naked before God but God wasn't worried that they were, were naked. He was more interested in the, in the spiritual. So the first thing we notice from this passage is that this man sinned, and we no longer had the vision that was available to see in the spiritual. Another passage to illustrate this is in from the book of Kings. So the king of Aram said, Go and see where he is, and I can send men to capture him. When he was told, Elisha is in Dothan, he sent horses, chariots, and a massive army there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of man... Of, of The man of God got up early and went out. He discovered an army of horses and chariots surrounding the city. So he asked Elisha, O my master, what are we going to do? Elisha said, Don't be afraid, for those who are with us outnumber those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, Lord, please open his eyes and let him see. So the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw that the mountain was covered with horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha just an example of how what Elisha could see as someone who was a prophet and able to see what God could see and yet his servant could only see in the physical and it wasn't until God, Elisha prayed and God opened the servant's eyes that the servant could actually see back into the spiritual realm and to be able to say that those that are for us are more than those that are against us. A final illustration is from the New Testament, reading from Luke. and said, now the same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. This is after Christ had been crucified. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognising him. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in the scripture. They came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going further. But they urged him, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and now the day is almost over. So he went to stay with them. It was, as he re- was, it was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then his eyes were opened and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. And they said to each other, wasn't our hearts, bur- wasn't our hearts burning with us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? This is one and a final example I'm going to use of where people were used to seeing in the physical. And the distance from Emmaus to Jerusalem was um, seven miles, about 11 kilometres. Probably take um, about two hours to walk the, the distance. So Jesus was with, the, with those followers and he was with them for two hours. He was talking and sharing things with them, but they were prevented from recognising him. And it wasn't until in the evening, when he sat down and broke a meal with them, that their eyes were open, their spiritual eyes were open, and they could see who Jesus was. Yet they had two hours of listening to him, and they didn't recognize him. But as soon as their spiritual eyes were open, they were able to see, see Jesus. So... Well, I've given some examples of the physical and spiritual eyesights. how do we ourselves discern? One of the best ways to discern the nature of a spirit is to check the word of God. Does what the spirit say match up with what the word of God is? Consider an example of the Bereans in the, the book of Acts. This is from Acts 17. As soon as it was night, the brothers and sisters sent Paul and Silas away to Berea, Upon arrival, they went to the synagogue of the Jews. The prophets here were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, since they received the word with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. The Breans didn't have access to the uh, to the New Testament. They didn't have access to YouTube, Netflix, or a lot of the other media that we uh, we have nowadays. They had the Old Testament or the the book of Moses and, and the prophets. And yet they were still able to validate the teaching of Paul and Silas against what they were told. And every day they would go and examine the scriptures to say, is what Paul and Silas teaching us accurate? Or are they just making it all up? And each day they could validate what was being said. We need discernment because God doesn't seem to directly intervene in any of our theological debates. And I say that because the last time God directly appeared before someone for a theological debate was when Peter was going to Cornelius' house, as recorded in Acts 10, and God gave him a vision and with some food, and he said to Peter, don't you call unclean what I am calling clean. And that was to change Peter's theology because he wasn't going to meet with the Gentiles because they were, they were unclean. And God said to him, I want you to meet with them and don't say that they are unclean because I'm saying that they are, are clean. But since that time, we don't have the, the visions where God's dropping a sheet down and showing us We've been given the Holy Spirit. We've been given the mind of Christ. And we have to work through and challenge and test these, these things as they come and they confront us. We often hear in society today, people say, I've received a new revelation from God. God is wanting me to, to do this and to do that. But we need to be able to test what God is saying. God is consistent. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. And God doesn't change his, his mind. So if we hear things that are out of alignment with what God has taught us through his scriptures and what we've, we've learned through, through you know, being able to apply the scriptures in our own life, we have to question it. Not negative, but is it from God, is it from man? Is it it really the breath of God, or is it the CPR of man? Discernment is also to validate the testimony by using witnesses. You remember the story of of Saul on the road to Damascus, and he saw the light, and he was blinded, and he went into, into Damascus, and after a few days... The Lord told Ananias to come and pray for, for Saul, and then Saul received his, uh, his sight back. And it's recorded that immediately after he received his, life, his sight back, Saul went into Damascus, into the synagogue, and they start, he started to preach that Jesus was the Son of God. He was who he said, and everything that Saul had been saying against the, the believers was wrong, and Jesus was the Son of God. So even though um, Saul had received this revelation from God and he'd had his moment and had been changed, he still wasn't automatically trusted by the disciples in Jerusalem. They thought that he was just a, you know, he might have been putting on a bit of an act. We're not going to see him because he's going to um, arrest us and have uh, have us stoned, and he just didn't trust. But Saul was slowly welcomed back into well, into the community. It took a number of years, and it was through the testimony of the witnesses that had seen him. Ananias was in Damascus, and he was able to witness and testify that Paul had changed, and he was saying that Jesus was the Son of God. The church in Jerusalem sent Barnabas to talk to, to Saul, again because they didn't trust him, and then Peter. So there was the testimony of the witnesses of those three men who could have gone back to the church in Jerusalem, says, yes, he has changed. He's no longer attacking the Christians. He's now a, a believer. So they used they, they tested Paul's spirit by looking at what he did and how he was preaching and how his life had actually been changed. The sermon is also through a direct application to test the scriptures. When Jesus was in the, was after he was uh, baptised by John, he went out into the, into the desert, he fasted for, for 40 days and Satan came and tested him and he was given three, three tests and one of them was he was showing some rocks and said, well look, if you're hungry, turn those rocks into bread and Jesus responded said, man does not live by bread alone. He actually responded with the biblical verses or from from Deuteronomy. And Satan took him to a high tower and said, jump out from this window and your angels will catch you. To which Jesus said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And finally, Satan took Jesus to a high mountain and said, I will give you this if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, you shall worship the God and God alone. In each of those occurrences where Jesus was tested, he knew his scripture and he was able to respond with the scripture and as soon as he responded with the truth in the scripture, Satan didn't have, a, have an answer, didn't have a, another option for him because Satan knew that, he was, that Jesus was correct. The only offensive weapon in a spiritual armour is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God and that's in the book of Ephesians. It is a spiritual sword. It's not a physical sword. We're not to go around and physically attack people if they disagree with us. We're to respond in, in the spirit with our spiritual sword. Discernment also brings peace and confidence. Discerning what God wants us to do is to look holistically as what has been revealed to us through his scripture and through his life and using the gifts that he has provided to each of us. As we encounter challenges in our our daily life and in our church, as things come in that we may not feel comfortable with, we need to discern and determine what God wants us to do. God has not set us up to fail. He's there to support us. He's our loving, he's our heavenly father. Uh, But we are to ensure that when we step out in faith and use the act of discernment, we do it in a loving way, we encourage people and we correct them where necessary in the right way um, because God wants to be able to say to us, well done, our good and faithful servant." I mentioned at the start, and Paul in his letter to to Hebrews said, it's a terrible thing for those who don't know God to fall into the hands of the living God. But for us who have received the spirit of God, it is actually a wonderful thing to be in the presence of the living God. Amen.